Hello and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I am here with Ian Graham from Cheap Girls. We get into a rad talk about how they do what they do, and they have a new B-Sides record called God's Ex-Wife, which is not only a rad title, but I've gotten a chance to listen to the record, and it's pretty damn rad. We have a great talk about the band's creative process and some thoughts and advice for bands trying to do what they do, and I think he's pretty insightful on this stuff, so it's a pretty good listen. Check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So was... There an initial idea about the band. I know the band's with your brother, so you probably have been playing forever. But was there any initial genesis about what you guys wanted to do or anything like that? I think you know we it was it was in that like golden period where it was going to be like our second band. You know where you mm. spend your teens in other bands, and this was kind of like a kind of like a two point theory of a uh, well, this is how that wasn't fun by the end. So let's keep it super simple. And I know we wanted to play pretty straightforward rock songs and i think it was pretty much under that idea where it was just like well let's just get together and bash them out and like and basically a kind of the theory for the like the very beginning like how easy that would be kind of thing and it and it and it stuck <laughs> nice so, so so to drill down on that a little bit since um a lot of this podcast is about giving advice to uh, sure. younger musicians. What wasn't fun and how did you remedy it? Because I think that that's something that doesn't get discussed enough. I mean, honestly, it, it was typically it's one of those things where sometimes it's, it's difficult to remember a lot of specifics other than like simply losing that that ambition to make sure you're on on your mark with practicing or getting together or having a friendship. And it was kind of. You know, I, I think at any age, it's refreshing to to recognize when something's run its course, and um, and I think you know, just giving giving yourself a new energy by by any means, and um, and that was kind of the idea. And I, you know, and uh, I think it, you have a tendency to complicate things when when you're younger. I mean, you know, at any point, but but you worry about things like i mean even just as silly as the t-shirts and what they should be you know like that's that's a pretty basic example but it, it it does add up after a while getting getting caught up in all those little details and so i mean just like an, it was just good to have a like a something refreshing and um 
and it was time at that point. And it, it, you know, and so, uh, and of course, the best way to start that is to not have anything complicated from the get go. Just actually allow something to have a fresh start and start with nothing. No, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and it it definitely it fit the mood, especially yeah at that point. It, it really. I remember it's so much fun when everything clicked there. That's awesome. Can you tell me how a song usually comes into being in your band? Sure. I typically, well, I guess all of our songs I've written. And that typically, I mean, I think there were a couple on the first record where there were some riffs and stuff. And, and, you know, some of those just kind of naturally came together by you know a few practices of going back and forth and honestly i don't remember a lot of the specifics of some of those but the the definitive way that it's been since then has been um i'll typically i'll come up with a guitar part or i'll hear something i'm not very good at visualizing a song so a lot of it comes together in in one kind of push typically when so, when you, so yeah, yeah. So, so, so when you say one kind of push, you mean like one writing session? Well, it's it's very rare that I have like this magical verse that kind of comes out of nowhere and I let it sit for six months. It's it's a lot more that I'll sit down and um, typically take a verse through a chorus. And once, the, you know, I think it's key that I have a transition to really see that the song is something that is growing and can go somewhere. And, you know, and from there over the next couple of days, I'll, you know get further with that and maybe find the bridge and then you know eventually maybe add an intro that kind of Mm. thing so it's basically got to start with with a key verse to to something next whether typically a chorus you know but uh it can grow from there and uh at that point i know it's it can be a song so uh so you know it, it usually don't sit on stuff for more than uh, like a few days. Like if I'm on something, then it's typically, you know, work on it till, you know, well into the evening and then I finally sleep or, you know, but I really, I guess I always have this fear that I'm going to lose it. Like Mm. once I start working on something, like it'll never, like it'll never be. I think it's always that I have the idea that I can always add more or refine something the next day or later on. But there's something key about seeing how far I can take it that first time. I, well, I think there's a thing with inspiration. Like I, I like I made a joke about it in an article I wrote that I, I like to think of inspiration like bread. Like when it's out of the oven, even if it's not that good, because it's hot, it's amazing. But like a week sure. later, it's stale as hell, and it's getting hard every day and getting worse. And if it's really good, yes, it might be still pretty decent three days later, but it's right. it's it's going to go stale after a while. And I, right. I think also when you're the, you're looking for different ways you can still use it. <laughs> yeah, and like also just like the original emotion you wrote with is still probably fresh with you for a few days. And then if you're not getting in touch with that, that emotion gets further and further from you. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I think something that can be said for that same thing is that, you know, a lot of times it's pretty rare and I, I, I'm not sure I can really think of an example where it wasn't this way, where I don't necessarily have a very clear idea of of what exactly I'm writing as far as the topic goes. Mm. And it's usually one of those things where once I look at it as done, it'll be like, you know, wow, that was that was what was has been bothering me the last couple of weeks. And it's finally it's made its way out. 
I guess at, at the same time, it's the same kind of way where you can finish a song and realize it's the song you've been listening to for the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of that same idea where, you know, it is kind of like I think, you know, if I can't get lost to a degree when I'm writing it, chances are I'm going to I'm going to overthink it or get far away from it. And and, you know, and once and that's a definite thing where once I stop with it, it's there's pretty much no going back. I don't think, you know, it's, it might pop. It's, you know, part of a, might come up in something later, but as far as having a core of a song there, I think it's kind of gone for me at that point. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, music or lyrics first. Is that usually a thing for you? Typically pretty much the same time, except for, you know, um, there'll be times where I use my iPhone a lot for singular lines or, uh, or, you know, a couple lines strung together or, or even, you know, or a guitar part. Um, I don't have a great memory. Like once I sit down and play guitar, I just, it's not ever like, well, let me pull up this thing I was doing. So a lot of times I have to be reminded, but if I do sit down and something sounds great on the guitar, then I'll kind of start playing that and start humming a melody. And I'll usually, it, it does seem like it happens at the same time, but you know, there's something like a little idea that it begins with. That's either, it could be either or music or lyrics, whether it's a little riff and then the vocals come naturally, or I have these couple of lines that are kind of a placeholder within something. So usually it all kind of comes all together, pretty much together. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not as well thought out. Like I, it's, I don't think I've written like a page of lyrics and had to write a song around that or anything like that. I just don't have the attention span. I don't <laughs> Nice. So one of the things I noticed on your records is you guys go way louder with the guitars uh, than a lot of other bands. Is there any influence that comes from any thought? A couple places, I think. Um, well, you know, the, the the original part was I, I had started writing songs for the first time with this band. And, uh, and a lot of it was being shy and mm. wanting to just kind of play loud, bury the lyrics live. Mm. And, um, and so it was just, and, uh, I think that I was able to seem confident while doing that by just being like, Oh no, we're just going to be as loud as fucking possible. And it's just going to sound so bad. Like it was a way of sounding, uh, confident when it was the complete opposite was to just <laughs> play it very loud and um compensating as they would say exactly you know of course that's that's leveled out a little bit more over over mm -hmm. time as it tends to do but like yeah that was but you know but also once you start doing that and people kind of you know we were fortunate where a lot of people were like oh i get it it's like who's do and it's like yeah mm. i love who's do so you're absolutely right <laughs> nice <laughs> and so it's just taking it and running with it i guess no and i i think there's something great about just playing things loud and bashing them out i think it I think that it can be kind of a manifestation of energy, but you know, it's there's a lot, a lot of different reasons why I really like it. And lately, there's a lot of great reasons why I like playing at a reasonable volume. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it goes both ways. No, I, I think it's an interesting thing because, like, I remember when I first heard you guys, I guess it was when I was managing Man Overboard and you guys were signing to Rise. And so it's always okay. like, oh, let's check out the new band on the uh, label. And, uh, Especially then, there was such a conformity of, like, everybody was just trying to get this as packaged and loud mix as possible. And then I was like, well, this totally abandons that, and th this is kind of rad when I heard the record. And uh, it's like one of those things, like, it gives you guys character. Yeah, well, that record we did for Rise, Giant Orange particularly, mm -hmm. um, I think... 
I think the guitars sound great on that record. I think they sound exceptionally good. And I, I know that I, I remember a lot of work went into that. But I'll be honest that in retrospect, I think that a lot got lost on that record because hmm. the guitars were so loud. But I, you know, I. Uh, but I, I've come across a bunch of people that like the band that that that's they like the record for that very reason, the really loud guitars. And so um, I don't have any issue necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't like dismiss that record by any means. I'm, it means a lot to me. But I think that's the record. They're going to be the loudest. <laughs> nice. <know? laughs> gotcha. Okay. That was the loud one. <laughs> that was the, the take it too far. Now let's come back a little point. Yeah. I think that was just, you know, maybe just right mm-hmm. um, for one record. Nice. <laughs> nice. So you now have a B-Sides record coming out. Uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how a song ends up being a B-Side. Can you tell us about how some of these became B-Sides? Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of it was, I think that we typically trim our records to 10 songs. Uh, just it's nice and even for vinyl. It typically means that it's naturally going to be at a length that isn't, you know, it's not going to drag on, I think. And the other big reason is it kind of forces you to, uh, it makes it more cohesive naturally than it would have been with more songs. And, you know, if you're not writing with a particular outline, it just kind of hones it in, ropes it all together. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily, I mean, honestly, there's songs I've, we've finished records and sequ- sequenced them. And I've uh, immediately felt like, you know, and not in a bad way, but that some of the songs we left off were, you know, that I do prefer some of them to the ones on the album. It just, mm. there might not have been a reason for, you know, three songs at uh, 160 beats per minute kind of thing, which is out of 10 songs. So it's a nice, the 10 song thing really kind of evens it where it kind of forces you to, to make some, some decisions that would otherwise be super tough or that you might not even consider making. So that's typically how we end up with B sides or there are times where we, I, that being said, we've gone in with the idea of maybe making more than a 10 song record. And, And by the end of it, maybe something didn't turn out the exact same way that we thought it would, for better or for worse. That's worked both ways. There's sometimes where there's a song you weren't expecting to be one of the top contenders for a record, and it's your favorite one. And I think that's that's honestly some of the most enjoyable parts of recording come through that. So, you know, just we it's natural that we have these extra songs. And so with streaming services these days it's a lot of them usually want an extra song or two so it's never a bad thing for that or you know we might do something fun like make a uh advanced release of oh like a single song with with an extra you know a different track something that's not an album track and uh and they're good for that i mean there's 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 never a shortage of, of, you know, there should never be a shortage of music from a band. I mean, within reason. I think mm-hmm. you know what I mean. <laughs> like, it never hurts to have those couple extra songs. As time goes on, you know, the album is the thing that's going to stick around, and those songs kind of get trampled by other things. Or, you know, and I think I know I, I myself sometimes am in kind of a, a purist mood where I just want to hear the 10 songs on the record. And so... With those songs, did I, did I answer your question? Yeah, no, no, no it's, it's actually good. <laughs> I, I think there's also that thing of just like, 
you know, like Rick Rubin, who's arguably the most successful producer in the history of music. If you look at record sales, he's doing okay. Yeah, yeah. But he has that argument that like a band really needs to write, like he makes bands write two and a half records for every record they release. Ideally. Like, and he talks about even like with black Sabbath, he's like, well, I need you guys. To, if you want a 12 song record, uh, that, that'll be 30 songs. And they're like, we have 16 songs. Fuck you. We're black Sabbath. And he's like, cool. You have an eight song record. <laughs> and that's, that's what exists. And it's like that thing of like you, you, cause I think what you, the point you made is like, you know, as somebody who's made a thousand records in my record production thing, it's like, I think, you know, 800 of those records, some of those records, it's usually the thing of the one that you thought was going to come out the best is never that one. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I think that's the exact, in a lot of ways, the exact reason to continue on is, mm-hmm. is that is being surprised. It, that's where a lot of the fun comes in. And that's where a lot of the a lot of my ambition to to really get the itch to make a new record is, is to just be kind of it kind of stirs you up a little bit. Um, I think it's great. I like that. Yeah. So. When you did this little writing about why you guys did this, I noticed you said that the phrase first part of the band, am I reading too much in to think that you're going to do a big departure from this sound next? Or is that that just a this is where the bookend is for just because this is where the bookend was convenient type of saying? Um, I think it's a little bit a little bit of of several things. I think that well, we've been playing as a four piece lately, so that lends itself to to change. I think that that it, a lot of it is just by you know pure fact that this is the amount of songs that feels best for for this. And uh, if we added too much more to the songs that we didn't have a place for, then I think it would be a little exhausting to have something. I mean, the reality of it is is that we're not like we don't sell enough records to justify a box set of like of like a five lp thing i think so i think it's good to to kind of have something you know one at a time rather than here's some demos and then this record is b-sides and then this is this so we kind of just picked our favorites of what we had Mm. and uh, i think that was the best way to make it something that you could sit and listen to It, it does seem to flow very well so Sure. And and maybe this I mean, I think that when I said that, I was also in the mindset of that there could be more things like this in the future once we, you know, add to that, you know, create a new pile of extra songs. And so uh, so this is just the first roundup of extras. Very cool. Um, What's an influence on you that people would be kind of shocked by? You know, I'm not sure. I, oh, I'm not sure anything's all that surprising. Uh, I'm really. I mean, I'm typically really into a lot of a lot of well-respected singer-songwriters, that which I don't think is surprising. A big Jeff Tweedy fan, uh, big big Ryan Adams fan. I mean, those are like my two dudes for songwriting. I think when I was younger, it was a lot more Westerberg, which of course I still really enjoy. Yeah, but that's my my favorite of all time. Is it really your big replacements oh, guy? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm staring. I have uh, a replacements mug of every album cover uh, on my desk. Oh, cool. Yeah, but, that, that is... That, that is to, to, to me, that guy gets uh, the tricks and intricacies of songwriting better than anyone else. Oh, yeah. And he can, he can play with words better than anyone. And, uh, yeah. I mean, have you seen that Come Feel Me Tremble DVD? You know what's so funny is like I've been dying to do to see both the documentaries and I've just like every time I like am about to do it somebody's like they're so terrible and I'm like oh man 
You do um, you not agree? Well, I'll be honest that I remember the uh, ooh, what it, what is the replacements one called that came out a few years yeah, ago? Yeah, I, I mean, like I, I, I can't it's... remember the with the one that's not licensed with none of the music. Right, right. Oh, that's right. Well, I mean, I thought that one was really good. It had a lot mm. of hype, and uh, and I remember thought it was fulfilling, but I haven't ever gone back to it. Uh, whereas that weird uh, Paul Westerberg "Come Feel Me Tremble" thing, I, I you know, I thought was really cool and had I, it it was homemade enough where i felt like it felt pure like i felt like he was really all about it in a way where even if it was something he had to do for some sort of label fulfillment it still felt like he made the best of that and uh i mean it was it was great there was a lot of a lot of lines to pull from that one if you're a songwriter there's a lot of cool mm. little little things that are he's just got he's just got such a magnificent way with words of the simplicity you know like he She's got such a way of of summarizing that initial thought and and really pulling the beauty out of that. And it just, it's cool. I love that stuff. Well, I have a new plan for my weekend now. Yeah, if you could, I I think uh, I've gone through a few copies of that because I'll loan it out. And uh, but I know it's it's an easy Amazon find. Nice. That's that's uh, that's what I'm gonna do. So you guys have been through a couple labels. You've been at it for a little while. Is there any advice on? that you can give to the younger bands out there. Just don't rush. <laughs> like, mm, that's a, that's a, I, I've never gotten that one, actually. I feel like that is a thing, that everybody's in a rush these days. Well, there can be... Okay, well, I will say this. Do every single thing that, you're, that one is capable of. I mean, this is kind of how we started, and I really... And I guess this goes right back to the first question about things you do differently when, when you get another chance, or lessons learned, rather, is... is I think a lot of people think they need to start with, you know, before they play their first show or first tour, they want to have that security of a manager and a, and a booking agent and, and all of this stuff. And I think that one thing we have learned through all of that is to always let those people come to you and you're going to be like a lot happier than if you try and track someone down that, you know, that you think is king. A lot of times you're going to find that it wasn't necessarily the best fit or they might might not really care what what you're up to as much as you do. So I think I think there's something really <clears throat> sincere if if those people come to you and I think that's that's the best way to go about growth is is take it when it comes and and you know I, that's does that work? No, I, 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 to, to be honest with you, you saying that I'm like wow, I've thought this but never put that into words for years and you know, I wrote a whole book on the music business and didn't say that. And that that's really uh, well put. Oh, cool. So uh, last question is, what's next? Next is uh, we actually did some more recording over the summer in San Francisco at a studio called Tiny Telephone. Awesome. So who'd you work with there? Bo Sorensen. Awesome. Um, very, very amazing uh, engineer. Oh, he's an incredible guy. Yeah, we wanted to work with him for a couple of years. We actually uh, have been chatting with him and hanging out when we're around each other in the same area for a couple of years now. Basically so what did, since, what, what did Bo do that got you interested in him? Bottom line, he was just a cool fucking dude. Like he mm. just could hang out and he like was just so purely impassioned by by just the idea of creation and, and people people working and um 
And and you know what? He was the first person that we were ever in the studio with, who and I mean we've had some some different setups uh, coming up. We've we've been prone to work with a lot of friends that that are figuring things out, which is so much fun to do. But this was the first time where it was just like you know I'm not sure you can do this, but can I get some? He's like, oh I can do it. Anything's possible. Just say it and we'll figure it out. And it was. Oh. Like the first time I had had that experience, and that's not saying anything ill of anybody else we've worked with, but that was just uh, he's just so enthusiastic about about people about helping people get what whatever they're looking for, and uh, which which can be daunting in a way, but mm. uh, no, but, but I, I think that that's the right attitude. Is oh, absolutely. like you know, yeah. like as a producer, like you're really here to facilitate the vision of the artist and help. Fill in any blanks and make it as good as you can make it with your input and skills. And and that's exactly how it was. It was also, you know, he just had so there were just a lot of these really cool. We it was just really interesting. We made a lot of records under a lot of restrictions, and I think that that suited records really, really well. I think they kind of made some of our records pretty unique and and individual. But it was also really nice to go to like a place that I couldn't be nicer you know mm. and and he's just such an incredible guy and uh so anyway we have some of that coming out and um and that's an stu- honest but that studio's famous for state of the art 1972 i think as they're saying okay yeah i've i'm not sure but they do have like a lot of uh, like amazing vintage gear that is just pristine you know mm. just tape machines and things like that and it's, just, it's it's wild it's really cool and so i can't I cannot think of a reason why we would not continue to work with Bo at at Tiny Telephone. So we are, what, what's coming from that uh, recording? What are you guys doing with it? It's uh, it's it remains to be seen. We have a few ideas, and um, and we're kind of. I think the idea was it was the first time we had gone to the studio as a four piece. So uh, it, we it was a lot of first times. First time we ever went to a, a real professional studio. Uh, it was the first time we'd worked with somebody that wasn't a longtime friend. It was first time as a four piece. So we really just wanted to, to do it all, you know, and we happened to be, have a reason to be in San Francisco for a few days. And so, um, and it was just a perfect situation. So something will happen with us much sooner than later. But, um, as far as formalities, I think it's just going to be kind of something loose. I think we might almost, we just kind of keep it open-ended as, you know, it'll, that will be, We'll make it available for sure. But yeah, I would say within the next nine months, year, we'll probably be onto that record. So, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's nice to have a, like a, a plan ahead or a, a goal to work with that person again. So I'm very excited about that. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.